As a nurse, we experience the full spectrum of emotion, joy, suffering, exhilaration, pride. Each episode, we'll be exploring these emotions in a way we hope you find interesting and sometimes humorous. Welcome to the Bedside Report. I'm Michael. And I'm Daria. And welcome to Bedside Report. So I have an exciting guest this week. Um, Awesome. We're going to talk to Leslie Barrett um, and um, learn about what she does, what keeps her up at night, all the tremendous amount of services that she supports within the system. I think it's going to be exciting conversation. She has responsibility for surgical services and I'm looking forward to talking to her today. Well, that's awesome. Um, Surgical services, like that sounds pretty serious, but I assume lots of fun too. So cutting up with us today is Leslie. So get that cutting up. Surgical services. <laughs> Always the fun. Uh, Always. Yeah. All right. So she is the vice president for surgical and anesthesia services at Novant Health. And she's also the president of Medical Park Hospital. She is a CRNA and a transplant to North Carolina. She hasn't always uh, lived and worked in North Carolina. So Leslie, what else would you like to tell us in the way of introductions? Well, thank you. Thank you both. I'm excited to be here with you, cutting up with you today. (laughs) Um, So what else? Yes, um, I would say that um, on top of the love that I have for the surgical and anesthesia world, I am an animal lover. Um, And so I have been known to rescue dogs um, and foster dogs. In fact, the last little foster that I talked my husband into um, uh, you know, helping me with for a little bit, um, now is our third dog. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, that doesn't sound like fostering. That sounds like (laughs) So yeah, she is now our dog. Uh, but yeah, our, our little dogs pretty much rule the roost. So that's, that's the home life. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, you wear a lot of hats, um, and hear, um, you know, a lot of things that you're responsible for. Talk about your, your structure within surgical services and, and what that looks like. And also how did you end up doing what it is that you're doing today? Like what's your journey been like to get here? Oh, okay, sure. Well, let's start with the structure. Um, so we do, we cover, um, all of surgical services across both major markets Um, So that's about 129 hours. We're responsible for everything, no pun intended, all the operations of those ORs, um, as well as our procedure rooms, endoscopy suites, um, and everything that surrounds it. So how a patient gets into our door, from scheduling the case to our PAT uh, visits to make sure the patients are optimized and now tested uh, for coronavirus prior to coming in for our our surgical their surgical experience. So um, anesthesia is a big part of that. As you said, I, I am a CRNA, and that's kind of how I've, the the, the road I've traveled in, in getting to this role. Um, grew up with a, a father who was a, a surgeon, mother was an OR nurse, and so I kind of never really had much option. <laughs> um, I can remember as a kid rounding with my dad on the weekends, um, you know, and, and so it was, I knew it would always be healthcare and, and nursing. Uh, the funny story is when I was in uh, nursing school and did my clinical rotation, the first day I was in an OR, 
I passed out. <laughs> I did too. I did passed out in nursing out. school. I passed out three times. So, you know, I was not ever going to end up in the OR. Well, and that's exactly what I, the CRNA saved me from like <laughs> cracking my head on the floor. And so I came home that day and I said, hey, parents, guess what? I know one thing, I will never be in an operating room. <laughs> so uh, how I ended up here is is really the love of, of science and, and the art of anesthesia. And I just feel so fortunate uh, to have, um, you know, have that career. Um, so yeah, so transplant from Rhode Island um, and then New York City before coming down here. Followed my sister down here um, to this lovely state and, and certainly love Charlotte. Uh, but I started out here as a CRNA, um, working at orthopedic and would kind of bounce around where they needed me. And then I was on call one night doing a, a big spine case and somebody kept tapped me on the back of the shoulder and said, we think you should be the anesthesia manager. What do you think about that? And that was the very first time that it even entered my mind. Wow. Never, it was never a dream, never a yeah. thought. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then it was just so one someone saw that they, potential in you. Yeah, I was gonna say somebody saw yeah. something somebody, in you, I and, guess so. and or they were desperate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think after all these years of, of you being in leadership, there was something there probably that they saw. It was it it was a hard transition because I really did love being in the heart of it. Um, so you know, when I first was saying, saying sure, I'll, I'll I'll be a leader. It was, it was always with the, you know, the deal I made was that, yeah, as long as I can still be a nurse anesthetist, right? Yeah. right. And, you know, as, a, as the positions progressed, and of course they became intriguing and, and you know, certainly overwhelming um, at times, it, you know, it, you found yourself getting farther and farther away from the clinical because you, you just, you couldn't handle doing both and doing both well. Yeah. Right. So. Right. Well, when you think about everything that you're doing... Really, folks are putting a lot of trust in you to to heal and reduce pain, improve quality of life, um, and so all that responsibility. What what is your top priority in surgical services? It hands down never changes safety first. Mm -hmm. It has to be um, no matter what. At times, chaos, you know, in a very dynamic environment, um, you know, things can feel routine. And then in a second, not be routine. So, you know, th there's inherent risks right. in, in the surgical world and, and more so than in most departments. There's a lot of moving par parts, a lot of complexity to it. Um, so it, it always has to be about safety. Nothing trumps safety and, and following the safety processes and behaviors and protocols and checklists that have been put in place. Um, to make sure that we are operating, you know, on the right patient, the right extremity, you know, all of that. Yeah, because you hear stories <clears throat> yeah. about yeah. wrong leg getting amputated, a fire in the OR. Yeah. What, like, were you ever part of something that went really bad in the OR, and and how did that affect you? So, so absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can I can think back. Um, on a lot of events, um, you know, one that just quickly comes to mind, and it, it's it's one of the reasons we really empower the team to have a strong voice and not not to feel a power gradient ever. No matter what your role is, you know, in in OR, speak up because that, that patient can't speak up, right? But um, 
you know, I can remember a time and I, I was new. I was a new CRNA. I just started doing cardiac procedures, which I loved. They were cardiac and, and major vascular were definitely my favorite uh, procedures to be part of. And um, it's in the room with a, um, an anesthesiologist. It was open heart surgery. The chest was open and, you know, points of the, of the surgery when the, the patient is coming off uh, bypass, um, their heart will fibrillate and you do need to defibrillate the heart. Um, and this, at, at this moment, clearly there wasn't focus. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I was the newbie in the room, barely a CRNA and, um, had to speak up to prevent, um, the patient from being defibrillated in full, a full jewel for, that you would use on a closed chest. So 360 joules. Wow. Which yeah. would have How did you find the, the courage to, to uh, raise your hand and, and call the question? I It just came. Uh -huh. I, I mean, you, it just came out. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you, you just were like, oh, my gosh, you know. Do you think the nurses stop. that know about health have that, that same courage? You know, we I, – I, I feel that we have moved the needle significantly on that. I think that there are – Folks that are more apt and more able to to raise a question, you know, or a concern or stop the process. Others, you know, maybe more intimidated for whatever reason. But we have really hit that hard in the in the expectation that no matter what your job is, if you feel something is wrong, something doesn't feel right, you need to raise that concern and you need to stop the process. And we've had a lot of help with, with and, and honestly, engagement from our providers in accommodating that and listening. Yeah. If somebody asks a question or says, hey, what about this? Or is this right? You need to listen to them. Yeah. There's so much going on. You know, you need to... To absorb any concern that's in the room. Well, and I appreciate your story about you speaking up, and and that's the thing. There, there usually is somebody in the room that sees something, and so mm -hmm. until people feel empowered to do it, you know, we're not going to impact culture in the way that we want to for every, you know, eliminating all events. Yeah. And so, um, that, a courageous story, and appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, obviously, working in the OR can be very challenging. Here lately, it's been probably even more challenging given the environment that we're in. We're recording this kind of um, as we're navigating our um, COVID pandemic. And two months ago, um, we were probably, you know, scaling back surgical cases and now we're restarting surgical cases. And so talk about what the COVID pandemic is, you know, meant for surgical services and how you've navigated that and what takeaways you've maybe learned as you've navigated through um, this pandemic related to surgical patients? Sure. Um, so uh, certainly for my career and, and you know, I've been a CRNA for 25 years and, and certainly in healthcare uh, longer than that, certainly had no, no script, right. no recipe yeah. for um, how you shut down abruptly surgical services. Um, you don't ever shut that down. In fact, yeah. you grow, you do more, you, you know, you provide more access and, and, and more, you know, um, advanced, um, you know, technology to, to provide great care to patients. And uh, so, you know, when this happened, it was just really flying the, or building the plane as we were flying it. And, you know, I was very impressed with, with the team 
um, in, in their resiliency uh, throughout it because they, as, as all of us in healthcare, I mean, there's a reason, you know, the folks are, frontline folks are being called heroes because they are. I mean, they were facing fear with, mm-hmm. with courage, the unknown, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, sure, we're trying to get them information as fast as we could and in, in building protocols and pathways with how you deal with these patients and identify, you know, coronavirus operating rooms and what equipment do we need and HEPA filters and intubation boxes and all these things as, as quickly as we could build it and get it out. Um, we did what it felt like um, in those first couple of weeks was that it was changing on an hourly basis. Mm -hmm. So we would communicate out, you know, a plan and something would change or there would be, you know, a better practice to to employ. So it really, you know, I I, I was feeling for the team because it just must have been so much coming at them at once in the face of fear, knowing that they had to provide care to urgent and emergent patients, mm-hmm. that didn't go away. And in the seven weeks that we were not performing elective procedures, we gave care to 7,500 patients. Wow. Yeah. And, and again, keep in mind that's care that nine times out of 10 always involved an aerosol generating procedure. So they're exposed to to all those patients with an unknown status most of the time. I can hear in your voice um, how passionate you are about your team um, and what they had to do. So it sounds like one of your priorities also is really ensuring that your team has what they need, not only during the pandemic, but when when we're not in a pandemic. Right. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, it's important that um, within our world, and, and again, it, you know, if if the decisions you make are, uh, you know, based on the patient, based on um, safety, based on the team and their safety, you're going to make the right decisions. But <clears throat> there's so much that can help them in, in, in a complex world. And a lot of that is technology. And so to have cutting edge, edge te- technology, whether it's robots or, um, you know, protocols that will, will give better outcomes to our patients. I mean, that's that's just what we have to do. And that's the, the um, ever-changing um, part of what we do and improvement that we, we strive for, honestly, on a, on a daily basis. Uh, but yeah, I am very, um, very proud of the team. Proud that, you know, even when we, we started to um, scale back pretty rapidly what we were doing, you know, they didn't shy away. They rolled their sleeves up. They figured out how do, how do I re-engage with being an ICU nurse? I, 12 hours of, you know, that was amazing. clinical yeah. training was to get myself amazing. ready to, you know, get, enter a world where I'm forward facing again mm-hmm. yeah. in an environment I don't know. Right. And I commend you in your team for how nimble you were, how nimble you have been. And, and your leadership team and being very thoughtful about what all of this meant for your team, but also making sure that during this, as we made transitions with with teams and where they were going and how they were supporting, you kept the patient at the center too. And, and as we're opening back up cases, you guys have done a, a fantastic job of making sure patients are safe, patients feel comfortable coming back to the hospital because a lot of people were afraid to, to come back. And so I, I commend you for that. Now, one of the things... Um, you know, that we'd like to do is talk about some things outside of just your day to day. And so when you're not 
operating or running <laughs> operations <laughs> or cutting up at work. Is that enough puns? Did yeah, I get enough in it? We're good. You know, uh, we're good. Okay. So when, when you're not at work, um, what are some things you like to do? So I do, re- and I used to be, it used to be almost like a part-time job for me, but I really like to ride horses. I, I used to mm-hmm. compete. Um, and so I am certainly not at a stage where I could ever consider competing again because I'm not riding them enough. But they're j- it's just something I really enjoy. Very good for my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to focus on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, 1,100 pound animal. Right. Yeah. So um, dangerous at times, right? You well, gotta be careful. You know, yes, you definitely have to be careful. Yeah. You definitely have to be careful. You have a cute hat and the pants. Yeah, I love the outfits. <laughs> and I the love, boots. I love the outfits. Yeah. That, that's the other thing. Just mm-hmm. love those outfits. That's cool. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I need to do more of it because I, I do really feel, um, you know, kind of revived after I've, I've been on a horse and, you know, stepped away from it all. So, all right. Yeah. Question number two. What is a moment in nursing you will never forget? So uh, for me, 9-11, I was in New York City. Um, I was on call that day. And so, and when you were on, when you were on call, um, the way our call worked is that you would go in a little later. So I would usually go in about 1030 in the morning because then you would stay overnight. And so it was my call day. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm sitting there in my apartment in New York watching the Today Show, getting ready to go into work and, you know, that's when it was just so surreal. Yeah. Um, and you couldn't get phone calls in and out. So my parents, you know, trying to reach because my sister also lived in the city. Um, they couldn't get a, it was just so surreal. Did but you see it from your apartment? You could see the plume. So it was, yeah. it was lower Manhattan and I was Upper East Side. And, um, but when I walked to work, it, it's definitely a smell and a taste. I'll never forget. Yeah. Oh, wow. I cannot imagine. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, surreal. Just seeing it on TV, I can't imagine being yeah. in the city and 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 a time when it happened. It just uh, no, and and I think you know clearly the the heartbreak of it all is that you know we all went in and stopped elective surgery. We finished the cases that were you know underway and yeah. and then um, waited, set up all our rooms to you know we were going to get trauma. We were going to mm-hmm. get patients yeah. that needed care, and we didn't get any. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So. You know, and, and it's interesting you talk about, you know, some of your early experiences and, and one of the other questions that we always like to ask people, you know, especially as you navigate through your career, what, you know, what would you tell your younger self? What piece of advice would you give your younger self? Well, Michael, there's a lot of advice <laughs> my younger self. Um, but I think the thing that stays um, probably the, the core of it all for me is, number one, believe in yourself. Uh, right. You, you've, you've got to and, and you've got to, you know, believe that you've got what what you need. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in whatever situation you'll be presented with. And then and, and then certainly, you know, stay true to who you are, because uh, that, you know, in, in, in times of challenge or turmoil or, or whatever we'll face, you know, that that'll be your your internal compass, you know, and, and just help guide and direct you. That's awesome. We enjoyed getting to know you better, Leslie, and I hope everyone out there in Novant Health Nation as well got to know you a little bit better um, and understanding your priorities of of safety, um, ensuring that our ORs are there and ready during a pandemic or or not during a pandemic um, and taking care of our team. All that is just so important. So we're glad you're leading this work at Novant Health. Yeah, yeah. So I hope everybody enjoyed this one. And then next time when we come together, we're, we have another great episode that'll be coming. So what's up next? When you think about dimensions, what comes to mind? 
The remarkable patient experience? Mm, yeah. What else? What else comes to mind? Dimensions and alternate reality, like the Twilight Zone. Do, 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 do. Yeah, getting a little bit warmer, a little bit, a little bit closer. How about our electronic medical uh, record? Bingo, hey. bingo. So, and you know, you think about it. We've had our electronic health record now for a while. We have so many more things that are interfacing with our electronic health record. So many more devices that are connected to all this data that's in it. What are we doing with all that data? How are we leveraging the electronic health record for the future to help support us? We're gonna have senior director Jill McKinney come and talk with us and talk about clinical informatics and what does that world look like and where is it where is it headed for the future? Cool. So can we document by talking to our wristwatch yet? It's it's there. I mean, we're pretty close to that happening. So you it's gonna blow your mind some of the stuff that's out there and when and what's coming up. So um, we'll ask her and we'll talk to y'all very soon on the next Bedside Report. Bye everyone. Thank you for listening to Bedside Report. Be on the lookout for more episodes coming your way very soon. We look forward to having more interesting and exciting conversations to share with you.